Let's dive in this morning. I want to start with this phrase, and it's on the screen, about favoritism. It's this. Favoritism and discrimination in all forms are opposed to the royal law of God. Favoritism and discrimination in all forms are opposed to the royal law of God. James ended his thoughts last week with three practical examples of things all believers are called to be doers of. This will be on the screen. Three practical examples of things that all believers are called to be doers of. We said about right speech. The words that come out of our mouth are to be to build up and to not tear down. We can't bless God on a Sunday morning and worship and then walk out and start cursing people with our mouth, right? We have to care for the most vulnerable. James named in his culture the orphan and the widow. It's very true in our culture also, right? But saying we have to be those who don't just talk about helping people, but our lives are actually spent helping those that are most vulnerable in life. And so the third part is don't be polluted by the world. Do you know the world in which we live? We don't have, you don't have to spend a lot of time breaking this down. I say pollution of the world and you have things immediately that come to mind that you look for for yourself and you specifically look for as it relates to your children, right? And so in the context of our lives, James is coming and saying is the church of God, it's not just enough to hear the right thing, but you must be doing those things. Here are a list of just three things that are true for the church throughout history and make sure that your life is marked by the action, not just of hearing the right thing, but actually doing the right thing also. And so then James this morning takes his next step. He takes his next step by correcting a specific action some of the church are tempted by and actually are doing that is opposed, again, to the royal law we're going to look at here in a few minutes. And so with that in mind, let's read from James chapter 2, starting in verse 1, going through to verse 13. He says this, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you just stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, which is love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
So James is coming and again speaking his mind, right? He's being very honest and speaking into the moment truth uh, about what he sees happening in the body of Christ. Isn't this a theoretical situation? It's a, it's a literal thing that's happening somewhere in the context of the church that's been spread out around Jerusalem. And he's coming and dealing with it in the moment because he believes it's vitally important. And so let's begin with the, the, this, this goal that James is leading his spiritual children to in verse 8. He's leading them to the royal law. If you want to sum up kind of what is the goal of James in all of this section of Scripture, it would be verse 8. I want to lead people to the royal law. The royal law in Scripture is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. In doing so, you are doing right, right? If you really keep the royal law in the Scripture, love your neighbor as you love yourself, you are doing right. This verse, if you don't know, is taken from Leviticus chapter 19, uh, verse 18. This would have been a very, very familiar scripture to every single person who was reading this letter from James. This would not have been new to them. This wasn't new language. It was something that was true uh, in the Old Testament time, right? And then and it would have been true in the life of Jesus, right? In scripture, this command, in scripture, listen, in scripture, this command is viewed as the expectation of every believer and every relationship they are in with the whole of humanity. And you have to think about every relationship, right? This command is viewed as an expectation of every believer and every relationship they are in with the whole of humanity. Like, have you ever thought about the whole of relationship that you were in on a daily basis, a weekly basis, or a yearly basis? That's the people who are inside of your house. It's the relationship you have with people when you walk into Publix. It's the people that you are driving around. It's the people that you have relationship with in the context of who you work with and who you work for. It involves the people that you naturally like and then people you naturally don't like. The expectation is the same and equal at all times. You are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Listen, it begins with your closest relationships. So I asked you this question this morning in the context of how you love your spouse. Do you love them? Do you love them in this way? And the way that you love yourself down to the people maybe you don't know quite as well. And your responsibility and the expectation of James in Scripture is that you love both of them in the exact same way. Jesus said, love your enemies. This is what he's talking about. The royal law commands that you love your enemies as you love yourself. So you see the weight of the words that James is bringing. This is powerful. It's easy to love the people that you like and are like you, right? <laughs> right? And James is saying, but you also have to love equally the same people that you don't necessarily like and you aren't naturally drawn to. Jesus used the same phrase, but he connected it to the Old Testament again in the Shema. Remember the Shema says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And with all of your soul and of all of your mind connected it to Leviticus to a form we know is the greatest commandment. Remember when Jesus was asked by the teacher of the law, teacher, tell us what is the greatest commandment? 
And Jesus says, if you take the entire scripture and you were to sum it up, it's simple. Love God with all your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And the second coming is like it to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's the Shema and the royal law to represent the greatest commandment. So what we find in this, right, is this James is coming and Jesus has come and the idea is in the New Testament, how we handle our relationship with God and how we handle our relationship with people. It is our greatest priority in life. Like the great commandment revolves around how you and how I do relationship with people that we like and are drawn to people I don't like and I'm not drawn to. Everything about the commandment and the royal law revolves around how we care for and love for people equally, no matter who they are. And so when we get into this, James is coming into the moment saying, I see a problem. I see a problem in how we are doing and how we're doing as the church at loving people. The royal law, the great commandment, it all revolves around relationships. So in these verses, James is coming and specifically challenging, challenging a specific issue that he's hearing regarding relationship in the church. The word we see is in verse 1, it says favoritism. Favoritism. We all understand the danger of favoritism. We use other words to describe it in our culture. We use the word partiality, but the primary word that we use in our culture today is the word discrimination. He's coming and speaking against favoritism, a.k.a. he's speaking against discrimination that's happening in the church. It's the action of preferring one person. You know what it means. It's the action of preferring one person over another, which means in turn, we're specifically looking down on one person, devaluing them as a human being. And here in James's analogy, he specifically comes and talks about the devaluing and the discrimination as he contrasts the believer's relationship to the poor and to the wealthy, where they are giving special treatment to and favoring the wealthy over the poor. He looks at believers, those who maybe have been Christians for a long time, and he says, if you do this, then you are judges with evil thoughts because you are deciding one person has more value because of their wealth, because of their power, and because of their influence. Like, have you ever been in a job situation and you give primary attention to people who have greater influence, greater power, and greater wealth? Like, I, I'll just be honest with you. Let's kind of put a black eye on the church for a second. This is not our church. I'll talk about somebody else's church for this, right? But I had someone sit down to me, with me, and this happens everywhere. It's not, I, I, I said that jokingly, right? But it's like, this person said to me, and I was, I, and, I, and here's the deal, I got it, you're going to understand. So I want you to hear what to say, and I want you to hear it on one side with practical, worldly wisdom, okay? On the flip side, I want you to hear it with kingdom vision. And you know how to do that. You do it every day. This guy says, yeah, I said, I was, I, I went, I went to this associate pastor at this church and I said, I've been trying to get a meeting with the lead pastor for several months now and I just can't seem to make it happen. And the associate pastor looked at him and smiled and said, well, that's probably not going to happen because you're not in the top 20% of givers in our church. 
He's been told by those who are in leadership that he needs to give his primary energies to those who have the greatest influence financially in our church. That's probably just not going to happen. Now, someone who was a church consultant, probably in the denominational world, told him this was the way to go. That makes you angry, doesn't it? It just frustrates you. It does. But James is coming and saying, we all do that in some form or fashion in the context of how we view people in life. We look at people different ways. We view people different ways. We value some above others. We do in the context of work. Are you nicer to your boss than you are to your coworker? Because the boss can make something happen for you. Your coworker can't. Do you look for the most powerful influence when you walk into a room, wherever you may go? Do you remember when you were in high school, look for the most popular person to be friends with? And we still do that in our neighborhoods, at work, on our tennis teams, right? Wherever it may be, in our schools, we still do it. And James is coming in the moment. He says we can't show favoritism and we discriminate in any way. That shows we value one person more than another. Mean we are devaluing another person. Then we are violating God's law to love our neighbor. And this favoritism, hear this. It literally contradicts our profession of faith. It contradicts our profession of faith. James becomes saying, you cannot continue to show favoritism and name yourself as a Christian because Christians, who they are as followers of Christ and conforming to his image, cannot show favoritism. And if you continue to do that, then I'm afraid you're not a Christian. That's what he's saying. There's no other way of reading James. We must check our own hearts. Where are we prone to show favor? And where are we prone to devalue and look down upon people? Can I make it real personal for a second in my own life? How many of you get off at Glade Road of 75? And you come down the exit and who's standing there? Someone with a sign. What are your thoughts? Do you, do you look at them as an equal to you? Do you think that their life has just as much value as yours? Do you have these negative thoughts of, well, if they would just do X, right, and devalue them and discriminate against their situation of life? Like, have you sat down? Like, have you just judged them or have you sat down and had a conversation to know exactly what got them to where they are? When we look at somebody and immediately create a narrative about how they got to where they are, we have devalued and discriminated against them. Every time I walk, I go down and I feel the tension. I'm like, well, I know this is a meth area. They're probably meth addicts. That's where I go. I've heard all the statistics. I know what goes on that other side of 75 in Ackworth, Right. I know they're living up here. It's like, that's probably what it is. They've made some terrible decisions. They just need to get their life together. Where's the church in this area coming to help them, right? And so I'm discriminating against other churches who live closer to where they live. Or do I look at them? Like, I make it a point. I tell my girls, like, when you come down, we need to pray every time. God, are we supposed to give money? But if we don't, we need to look them in the eyes Wave at them and let them know they're human beings because we're human beings just one step away from being where they are. 
Do you even believe that? And so James comes into the moment and says, this is what we're talking about. Where does your mind go? How do you view people? In verses 5 through 7, James reminds the church of, he actually reminds them of who they are and where they came from. He builds, he's building a reminder for those who've forgotten, and he's building a new perspective for those who don't know this. God loves the poor and has provided for them in unique and powerful ways. James says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised for those who love him? Like, what does that even mean? Do you know? Like he's saying, Jesus said, blessed are the poor, and the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Wow. Like, he's not, he's, it's being literal. It's not some sort of figurative language. He's saying, no, no, like, there is this blessing of grace that God pours, gives to the poor in their, in their difficulty. We'll look at it in a second. But the, listen, the church itself, when it was formed, may have had several wealthy people in it. But by and large, it was made up primarily of those who were poor in the world's eyes. Jesus at one time says, why are you following me? It's because you're hungry, and last time I gave you food, and so you're wanting food again. Why did they want food from Jesus? Because they couldn't afford it themselves. The, the followers of Jesus, by and large, I, Randall hates when I do this, but I'll just, let's just say 90% of them are, are poor. I don't know if it's true or not. Well, let's just pretend, right? She hates what the percentage is. Like, you don't even know that, Steve. I'm like, you're right, I don't. But it sounds good, right? Let's just pretend that by and large, those who were followers of Jesus came to Christ in absolute poverty, in sin, in brokenness, and had nothing. He says, that, like, that's who you were because the rich were throwing you into prison, taking you to court because you couldn't pay back your debt. Don't you remember who you were? And now here you are, because now you've kind of moved beyond that place, and, and now you want to have influence in the world. You're befriending these people and giving greater value. Don't you remember where you came from? Don't you remember who you are? Listen, by saying God chose those who were poor in the world's eyes, James also seems to be showing a different reality of poverty than what the world sees. James is saying that they aren't really poor, that they are rich in faith and they are heirs of God's kingdom. The idea, God makes sure that everyone has what they need. And the poor who may not have money but love Jesus have been gifted with a faith to believe for things they can't see, don't have, and absolutely are hoping for. In a sense, God is saying, I'm evening the playing field, and that makes them rich in God's eyes. Oh, you don't have X? You don't have wealth? You don't have influence? Well, I will give you faith. It's a gift of my grace, right? And that makes you rich in my eyes. Those who have money but have no faith are not as rich as those who have nothing but have faith to believe God for everything.
Therefore, the view of poverty in the world's eyes, James is saying, it's just short-sighted. Don't you remember how wealthy you felt when you first met Christ and believed Him in faith for the things that you were wrestling for? And He provided those things because you loved Him. But now that you've gotten stuff, you then lean on your things. Does that represent anybody in America? I mean, just be honest, like, I love doctors, but... How many of us lean more on doctors than we do in praying and believing God? It's like there's a healthy marriage. Don't hear me say either or. It's a both and, but you know what I'm getting at. Like we now have stuff, and so we lean on our stuff to make us happy. Oh, I'm having a bad day. Let's go out on the lake rather than go be with Jesus because I have something to distract me and pull me away. Oh, Jesus, I just feel so lonely. Let me go to my television rather than just go and sit and listen and look at you. I'm enamored by the box in front of me rather than the love of Jesus. You know what I'm getting at, right? We allow these things to distract us. And James is coming and saying, those who have nothing, they're actually rich because they have nowhere else to turn other than Jesus. And when they turn, he meets them. And if you could do the same in your wealth, then God would meet you. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. People, listen, Abraham was incredibly wealthy but recognize that nothing he had actually belonged to him. It actually belonged to Jesus. Belonged to God. He didn't know Jesus yet, right? Belonged to God. And because it belonged to God, he recognized, I am actually poor. I have nothing. Because at any moment, Jesus, you could take anything that I have and use it for your will. And that's the idea of being poor in spirit. So James is coming in the morning and says, you know your own story. You know where you came from. Don't forget it. Don't forget where you came from. Honor those. Listen, and honor those who are living the life that you once lived. Don't forget where you came from. If God loved you in poverty, treated you with honor and affection in the midst of your sin and your brokenness, then you should do the same. That's what he's getting at. And I want to say this again for clarity. Jesus is not saying that all poor people are rich in faith. Right? Those who are poor who know Jesus. And the idea is that those, again, who are rich, he's not saying they can't be saved, nor to say God loves the poor more. Instead, those who have nothing, they find it easier, as I said, to exercise faith because they have nothing else to lean on and no one else to trust in other than Jesus. The idea he's trying to lead us to and this idea of, like, don't just remember who you are. Like, just remember. He, Jesus, loves Equally, And he gives grace to those who are struggling. It's a model of who we should be, James is saying. If Jesus reached out to us and to everyone else equally, then we should reach out also. Which comes down to verses 8 through 11. I'm just going to read it because this is super practical. You can bring it up on the screen. All right. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture to love your neighbors, you love yourself, you're doing right. But if you discriminate, if you show favoritism, you sin. And you were convicted by the law that's told you that's wrong, and you're now lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. That's the nature of one sin makes us sinners, is what he's saying. For he who said, you should not commit adultery, also said, you should not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do, mur- but you do commit murder, you're a lawbreaker. You've broken the law. 
And so James is coming into this moment and just really, really practically saying, listen, God loves the royal law. God loves all people equally, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of skin color, level of wealth, etc. Favoritism is opposed to God. It's opposed to his royal law. And it's honestly opposed to Jesus' great commandment. Plain and simple. It is called the royal law here. Hear this. Because it is the supreme law to which every other law governing human relationships is subordinate. Remember that again, and I'm going to say it in my terms. It is called the royal law here because it is the supreme law to which every other law governing human relationships is subordinate. What does that mean? It means this. The royal law is like the big umbrella, and then every other single relationship you are in professionally and personally is dictated on the royal law. Every relationship with every other human being ultimately falls under the royal law. That's what James is getting at. The royal law. So if you are a business owner, then every worker who works underneath you, you are to love them with the royal law in the same way you do your own children. You treat them with the same honor and respect. You fight for them in the same way that you do your children. favoritism here. He's basically coming and talking about the nature of like big sins. I think we all know like murder would be like on our level, like big sin, right? And like adultery, big sin. He's coming and saying, and it is equal to discrimination. Like you in your eyes and your mind, you're like, oh, it's this favorite. I mean, this makes sense in our culture. Like, I'm just trying to gain more in. Yeah, right. We kind of defend ourselves. And James is coming and saying, no, no, like, like, the, like they're like this. They're equal. If you break this, it's as if you have committed adultery and murder. Right. That's the whole point. Super practical. He's just making the point. Discrimination and favoritism in the context of your relationship and how you view every single person in life, whether you value one more than another, therefore devaluing is the exact same an impact of sin as murder and as adultery. And that's really hard. That's really hard. The idea is super simple. Discrimination here for James is a really big deal. It's a really big deal. A practical takeaway this morning, even talking about the the nature of sin. Our sin, this is kind of a takeaway you could take from James, that our sin is no different than another person's sin. Therefore, we can't devalue someone because of their sin. Like, isn't that so hard? Like, you give yourself grace like that as it relates to the things that you do. Oh, well, God loves me. But then you look at somebody else whose sin seemingly is more big than yours. You're like, ah, and you devalue them because of their sin. Right? We devalue people who make decisions that they make. because we And we view ourselves, whether we say it out loud or not, as being better than that person because we have not committed that sin. But James here is saying sin is sin and puts all of us on an even playing field. Don't forget who you are. You're a sinner saved by grace and they're a sinner in need of grace. Sin is sin. And so the idea, if you ever look at someone and go, oh, they're doing that. Mm -hmm. They're not a really good Christian. Right. And you devalue someone because of their decisions. 
and exalt, which is meaning exalting self, then you've discriminated and you devalued and you are in sin in the same way as a person who commits murder. All I'm doing is saying what James said, right? Like it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. We are not better than anyone else. So then James ends his thoughts in verses 12 through 13 with practical motivation, I think. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What I want you to see is he's basically saying like in the moment, hey, the law is here. And really God himself, God who created the law is here and he's watching. But here's the thing. James is not telling them to perform for God. Instead, he's telling them to conform to the merciful and loving nature of Jesus. For God as a father is watching and making sure that we're proactively growing into his image. Like, do you have expectation of your children growing into maturity and how they relate to other people? And if they don't, you challenge them? Like, you don't want them to perform for you. No, you want them to, you want, so that they do the right thing when you're watching, but not when you're not watching. There's no integrity in that. No, you want someone who so conforms that whether you are standing there or not, you act as if God is and you do the right thing because it's the right thing because it's the royal law. You see what I'm getting at, right? You want your children to conform. Like, you know, remember that moment? Remember that moment someone came to you and bragged on your kid about doing something that you had taught them without, and you weren't around to make them do it? You're like, oh my God, that's my kid. Oh, that's so great, right? Because they conformed. They didn't perform for you. They just simply conformed. And the James is coming and saying, listen, You have to live and be conformed in such a way that every day, whether God is there or not, whether you, whether literally the law was right here in front of you or you don't remember it, you're living, not showing favoritism because you are living by the royal law, expressing mercy, right? Expressing mercy because mercy is shown to those who show mercy. What's the alternative to that? If you don't show mercy, you're not shown mercy. That's what James is saying. Again, he's a super practical black and white guys. Right? He's just making it super practical. And this idea of judgment, I think it's really interesting. You talk about it in the context of, of, of we think about the end times. I don't know if you ever wrestle with this verse, but it's 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, believer and unbeliever. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he or she has done in the body, whether good or evil. You're not performing for God, but you are conforming. And there is a moment, right? James is making the point that what we do and how we act is something that God as our perfect father is aware of. And he's watching and we will be held accountable for our actions. We don't just live in a vacuum. No one watching. God is watching all along as a good father. Specifically here, we will be held accountable for our embracing of the royal law, how we love our neighbor. The idea is we do want to live life knowing that he's always before us, that truth is always before it, and we need to be conforming ourselves to it. So if we were to boil this down, 
We all have to recognize that God is called. Hear this. This is the end. I'm at the end. So if you fall asleep, wake back up. You can, you can tell this. You can tell your spouse. Yeah, I heard. This is what he said, right? If we were to boil it down, this is what we say. We all have to recognize that God is calling us to the action of loving people who maybe you don't deem worthy of love. He actually wants you to shift and live convicted by the fact that maybe you are valuing and devaluing, and he wants you to grow up from that and mature because there is no discrimination for those who call themselves followers of Jesus, right? It truly is the message of the gospel. While we were yet still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. We were living in our own poverty. We were living in our own brokenness. We were living in our own sin. And Jesus loved us to the fullest extent. James is saying, in the same way that you experience the gospel now, go show the gospel. That's what he's saying. You conform to the gospel message, the royal law, and the great commandment. You can't show favoritism. Don't forget who you are and where you came from. It's just not logical to do that, as well as it's not obedient to being conformed into Christ's likeness, because that's what the gospel is all about, never devaluing and saying, well, this person's worthy of salvation and this person isn't. No, all are unworthy apart from the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross. What was the sacrifice on the cross? The greatest exhibition of royal love in the history of the world. As it was done for you, so you are to do for others. If you're James, again, hearers of the word will say they love all people. But their action of discrimination is a testimony against them both in thought and in action. It's only their doing of loving all neighbors equally which makes their faith be seen as true and as healthy. So I want to invite you in this moment. I, I want to invite you. In fact, I want to implore you to be honest. I invite you to close your eyes from not looking at me because that's awkward. And I want you to be honest with yourself about the royal law, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. I want you to think about who you value, who you deem is most important in your life, who you deem is a person that automatically they get the best of your energy, the best of your affection, the best of your compassion, the best of your mercy, and the best of your love. And now I want you to think about people that maybe you devalue. Maybe people that you maybe... You struggle with. In the context of our culture, discrimination, we see it primarily in the way we view gender. Men, do you treat the females in your life with the same equal respect that you show the men in your life? Do you get as angry at men and speak down to men the same way maybe you treat and speak down to women? Or do you see them as being not quite as powerful so you can manipulate them? You can speak down because physically they can't do anything to you. What about skin color? Like you all recognize there's only one race in the world. It's a human race. There's just people with different cultural background, 
and different skin color? Do you value people equally in your mind? Do you see a white person, do you see a black person equally of value and importance? Do you ever say they in an unhealthy way that you recognize in saying they, I'm discriminating against a whole people group? What about country of origin? One of the great battles in the church today is nationalism. Jesus does not love America more than he loves other countries. He doesn't bless America more than he blesses other countries. Jesus loves Israelis as much as he loves Palestinians. He sees them as being equal in his eyes of importance and of love and affection as a nation and as individuals. Do we view them the same way? People from different countries. Is it wrong to love our country? No. But we have to love every other country just as much as Jesus does too and not showing favoritism of believing that we're better than. Jesus says, I see neither Greek nor Hebrew nations, neither male nor female gender, neither slave nor free. Do you? James specifically names socioeconomic. Are you drawn more to people who wear nice clothes and have nice haircuts and drive nice cars and have nice houses? Or those who are less than? Do you view them as equals? Do you pass judgment on someone based on how they talk or what they smell like? I use smell, important. It's important. People who live a lot of times in poverty, they just don't have the means and the resources to get what they need. They live differently. Are we repulsed by people that Jesus seemingly was absolutely magnetized to? It's not helpful to immediately defend yourself. In all things we say, Jesus, search me and know every evil thought in me. It's a prayer in Scripture. Know know, know all unholy ways in me and lead me in the path of righteousness. For Randall and I, we do foster to like other families. And to be honest with you, it's one of the great struggles that we have is when we bring children in, we see the sin that parents have committed. We see the sins that they're still committing. Most of the time they come in because of poverty or primarily in our culture, they come in because of a drug abuse. And every single time we have to wrestle, say, Jesus, it's hard to love them. It's very easy to devalue them. It's very easy to demonize and criminalize them, Jesus. But we know that you don't help us to love them, Jesus. It's so hard in our own strength. God, it's so 
hard help us. And for us, every time it's a journey. I want you to be honest about those that it's hard to journey with in the context of discrimination. So I just grew up this way. Well, you can stop and change. So Holy Spirit, we invite you with great compassion and great mercy to come and to really show us no discrimination, the act of it, that's that's criminal. And I pray, Father, that you would make us lovers of people and those who conform to the royal law and the great commandment and to make sure we recognize everything in life is not about performance, it's not about success, it's not about competition, it's all about how we love God and how we love people. We invite you to come and have your way in Jesus' name. Sometimes when you come to church, it's about what God wants to do to bring healing to you personally. The things that you feel waiting. And sometimes God's desires to bring you to bring healing into your life in the areas where you're blind. This would be one where sometimes we get blind and it's literally kept us from being conformed to his image. And he wants to bring healing to these areas. So this morning we're going to respond. We'll have our offering baskets here. This is for our expression of worship before God with the resources he's given us. Second, we'll have communion available just to thank God and to remember and to celebrate today the fact that his body was broken for us, his blood was poured out so we could have salvation. I'm going to pray for you. And here's the thing. I'm going to pray for anything going on here. If you are coming to say, Steve, I'm barely making it. We want to pray for you. Whatever you need breakthrough and need healing, you need a word from the Lord, we want to pray for you. Just pray for God's breakthrough in your life. I invite you this morning to spend time where you are in prayer. And if there are things you need to confess this morning about discrimination and favoritism, then would you please repent of those? Would you recognize them as being wrong, apologize for them, and then make that turn to walk towards Jesus and conform to his image this morning? And let's just see what happens. So you respond to the Lord. Please, I'll come back up here in a few minutes and pray as that ministry team. You can go ahead and come forward. Jesus, have your way. You respond as the Lord leads this morning.